Hello, listeners. I'm David Blakesley, and we are back with episode 113 of Criterion Reflections, a podcast going through the Criterion Collection in chronological order. And we are here in May of 1972, uh, yet another film that debuted at the Cannes Film Festival that year. We're talking about John Huston's Fat City. And if you listen to the previous episode, it's going to sound kind of familiar because we are picking right up where we left off. Uh, talking about Peter Medak's uh, The Ruling Class in that previous episode. Here we are switching gears and uh, worldviews and social <laughs> status and everything else to talk about John Huston's Fat City. Uh, so go from the high pomp and circumstance of British aristocracy down to this particular environment is a kind of a neck-snapping uh, switcheroo uh, as we talk about the, the gritty life of... Uh, sort of the boxing subculture in uh, 1950s-era Stockton, California. Uh, but really happy to bring our guest right back, uh, Alex Cormier. Hello, Alex. Hello, good to be back. Yes, and uh, Richard Doyle. Richard, happy to have you again. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got all of... Uh, 15 minutes of catching up to do from uh, where we left off. But yeah, this is a very, uh, another pretty exceptional film. I, I'm, I'm really privileged. And if you haven't figured out, we are recording these two episodes back to back with a little bit of a breather in between. Uh, but yeah, as I've already said, uh, they kind of are taking a look at life from two very uh, contrasting perspectives. Uh, but uh, really enjoyed both of these movies, and I'm definitely eager to get into the, um, uh, I think, a, a, a very uh, surprisingly moving uh, drama and human character study presented by John Huston, uh, Stacey Keach, uh, Jeff Bridges, and kind of, I, I don't know if this is his immediate follow-up to the last picture show, but it had to be pretty close together. So, it is. Uh, yeah. you know, a couple pretty uh, significant actors. And then um, uh, the the woman... Um, Susan Tyrell. Su Susan Tyrell, right. another extraordinary performance, as well as supporting cast all the way around. You know, this was a film that streamed for a period of time. I think, was it part of a John Huston bundle um, that, that got this on the Criterion channel? Uh, I, I believe I think, it was. Yeah, I think that was the uh, premise for which this film uh, streamed for a few months or so. Um, and because it was released in 1972, I kind of just threw it up on my timeline to sort of say, hey, I cover it all here, whether it's a Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, UHD, streaming, whatever, Filmstruck, Criterion Channel, even going back to the Mubi and Hulu days. Uh, if it's Criterion-affiliated, I'm going to connect with it and put it on my podcast. Well, this movie is really quite a piece of work, and I would be delighted if Criterion ever got it together to make this a Blu-ray edition. Uh, really impressed. And when I initially saw, oh, this is a boxing movie. Uh, <laughs> all right. I've, uh -huh. I've seen boxing movies, but this is something quite different than that. Boxing is definitely pivotal to, to everything that goes on here. But um, I'm really glad that I followed through and, and put this in the queue because I was just really completely impressed and moved by this film. Uh, so Richard and Alex, I, I assume you guys have had some exposure to this one and uh, got on for a reason. So Richard, let me just ask you a little bit. What's your acquaintance with Fat City? Um, back in the late 90s, I was renting from a video store that had director shelves. And back then I was always deep diving on directors. So I mm -hmm. was doing a deep dive on John Huston and ran into this film and uh, was struck by how unlike john houston it felt like at first <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. but um but yeah I, I, this one has always stuck with me and uh uh when i saw it come up on in your podcast i'm like oh yeah i really love that film <laughs> yeah 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 it is because it, it, it's kind of a dismal story but you're right when you say you really love it i totally connect with what you're saying there these are some down and outers here you know yeah. again we talked about the you know the kind of uh, the life of privilege and ease and, and authority of the British aristocrats in the ruling class. This is almost as far as you can get. I mean, there are definitely people who are 
living in even worse poverty and misery and squalid conditions. But wow, you know, this, this is a, this is a different slice of life. Uh, and yet these characters are so engaging and so moving. There's just something about how they're portrayed and how the story is told that uh, my heart just goes out to them. Uh, Alex got a little bit of your kind of first impressions or first comments on this particular film. Yes, I absolutely love this film. And, uh, I think this is the first, the first film I'm discussing on your show that I, that I knew that I loved um, when I signed up for it, and I was actually a little surprised. I thought that everyone was going to be clamoring to get onto this, this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm not sure if it's just not if it's not as see, widely seen or what. But um, I I stumbled across it because for the last. I've kind of put this project on on pause, but I was watching through the they shoot they shoot pictures, don't they? The mm-hmm. master list. Um, mm-hmm. It's like fifteen hundred films. I watched like over a thousand over the course of two years. It was kind of a ridiculous <laughs> amount of of movie watching. So this was just um, when I threw it on. It was just one of the films on that list. I don't even think I knew that it was John Huston when I watched it, although I was well aware of John Huston, um, and it just totally knocked my socks off and I, I fell in love with it. So um, it has a special place in my heart because for me, that's the ideal way to see a film and fall in love with it is, is knowing nothing about it. Yeah. No one recommended yeah. it to me. Um, so it kind of felt like I was discovering it. Um and yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that can be said. I definitely appreciate this um, this type of film of American film that we got in the '70s, you know. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. But I, I think that even in that um, sort of subgenre of like American um, American '70s films about down and out loser types. Uh, this one has a special place in my heart. So yeah, that's my history. Great. Do you want to give us a little kind of sketch overview of the storyline? Um, you know, what is fat city all about? And I've already mentioned the boxing connection named a few of the, I guess the three prominent leads in this film, um, Stockton, California, which, you know, I used to live in the Bay area and Stockton has got about I don't know, 50, 60 miles due east of San Francisco, but boy, the, the, the world that's portrayed here <laughs> feels a lot different than the Bay Area that a lot of us may have in our imaginations if we haven't been there ourselves. And uh, yeah, I've probably driven through Stockton or around it once or twice, but uh, what, a, what a remarkable place. I mean, again, dismal, but uh, yeah, just kind of give us a little, you know, kind of guided introduction into what is this movie all about? Sure. So I, I wasn't sure. I knew that the that the novel was set in Stockton, but I wasn't mm-hmm. as sure that the film takes place. Do they clarify that? In- oh yeah, it's definitely oh, okay. mentioned, and it, it it it's shot in location. I mean, I'll just kind of preempt a little bit here in that some of the locations that they shot were in the process of being torn down as part of urban renewal. In fact, I think there's a prominent piece, maybe one of the hotels or some other background that was torn down like the day after they did the filming there. So uh, John Houston was almost like racing against time to capture the atmosphere that uh, novelist Leonard Gardner had so elegantly and eloquently depicted in his novel, uh, which is a, a classic of its own sort. And this kind of, uh, kind of very realistic and, and very downbeat, type of uh, kind of literary subgenre here. Okay. Um, so yeah, the story, uh, it begins with Tully, who's played by Stacy Keach, and he's waking up in a kind of rundown hotel room, um, and he heads out the door to go to the Y, which I guess that's the YMCA, um, mm-hmm to do some boxing and he there meets Ernie played by Jeff Bridges Bridges and they do a little bit of sparring and uh, he tells Bridges that he's got to go talk to Ruben because he thinks he's got it. Um, it's, it's sort of a 
uh, more of an ensemble piece than one that has a mm -hmm. main character, but I think that Tully would be your main character if we had to pick one. Um, so from there, it sort of... It, our two real main characters are Tully and Ernie, and we are kind of following them as they go through um, their relationships as they kind of go in and out of boxing um, in a in small time boxing like this isn't a, a high stakes boxing film by any means um, where there is some um, th there is a, a sort of climactic fight towards the end but it's not anything like you'd see in Rocky you know um, right, they they aspire to those big things. I mean, the the dream is a big part of what fuels them to put their bodies through this punishment, and yet we as observers recognize they are so far from that kind of a rocky scenario, and yet they 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 plot ahead, and and that's both the glory and the tragedy of it all. Yeah, and and it's funny because a lot of like even Rocky, um, that that film is also a pretty downbeat film about a boxer who's kind of over the hill. And I think that that's something that you see in a lot of boxing films. Um, I also thought of uh, the setup, which yeah, um, yeah the, the, that film noir with Robert Ryan. Um, it, it, it's common to boxing films, but this one takes it a little bit farther, I think, than, <laughs> than those other ones, just in terms of um, how, how far uh, someone can fall <laughs> from. And, and it's not like Tully was, was ever um, fighting at the highest levels of boxing, but wherever he was at, he's fallen a long ways from there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that the film is just following these two characters um, throughout relationships and, and their sort of relationship with boxing, um, the menial jobs that they find themselves doing. And it's kind of like a slice of life um, look at a very specific time and place um, and a very specific milieu um, that I think we saw in the 70s. And I don't think, I don't, I, it doesn't feel to me like we see this type of movie these days. I mean, maybe, maybe if I tried, I don't, I also don't watch a whole ton of, modern film so i'm sure if i scoured the landscape i could find something but this to me feels like a film that's very particular to to the 1970s it's certainly rare yeah <laughs> yeah like, leave, leave no trace maybe from the last few years but very few mm. So, Richard, you said something that was a little bit intriguing to me as far as uh, you didn't see this as a maybe what you would have expected from John Huston. No. Um, so t tell me a little bit more about that. I, I mean, first of all, what do you think is a typical, is there a typical John Huston movie or is there an arc of a John Huston movie that you kind of thought this might have tracked with? I think there's an arc that this is an interesting film that I think breaks in like a, a an arc or rut that he was in mm -hmm. because he has a fantastic early career, right? Yeah. From, oh yeah. From basically the forties and fifties are a string of amazing films. You know, you want to just like title drop some of those just for um, listeners to kind of catch in the Maltese Falcon mm -hmm. treasure of the Sierra Madre, um, the African queen. Right. Those are like uh, the three tentpole yeah. masterpieces that he's probably most famous for, even to this day. Yes, and many of them are like one after the other. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like the Maltese Falcon and the Treasure of the Sierra Madre are before and after World War II, like mm -hmm. his first and second film. But I, I think the the '60s are a bad decade for you, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think all the films are bad, but they're certainly not successful and they're certainly not well liked. I think from the misfits in 1961 on, he has a string of critical and often commercial flops. And I think a lot of it has to do with him being stuck in a very particular Hollywood mode of filmmaking, you yeah. know, making yeah. films like the Bible and mm -hmm. part of Casino Royale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was part of the Hollywood 
establishment or royalty of a sort. Yeah. I mean, his father, obviously, you know, Walter Houston, great character actor. He, he had those those impressive um, and commercially successful films in his resume. And you're right. It's like he kind of just didn't know what to do with, with all of that. And he, he is himself quite a character. I mean, he is yeah. one of the big personalities of that era of Hollywood. And that never faded, really. <laughs> but yeah. how to apply his talent was kind of a conundrum. This film films like an abrupt, like sort of an abrupt break with that stress, that, that, um, that train of films where he suddenly really endorses, you know, everything new in the early seventies and makes a, a very, this seems like a film that you would expect was made by a young man in this period. Yeah. It's like a new Hollywood yeah. film yeah. made by an old guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he you still know, had, you know, a couple decades of filmmaking ahead of him. He wasn't at the end here, but yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it, it, it keys into some things that were always, like in his mind, like, I mean, I think he's always been someone who was interested in authenticity and, and people living sort of on the edges of things, you know, the treasure, of Sierra, the treasure of the Sierra Madre shot on location in Mexico and about people who are down and out. But I think he really goes very deep into this is what's new, what's going on. Let me try it. And I, and I think it revitalized his career. Like his, his films in the future are not consistently great, but no. I, I think he he generally has a new life to him after starting with this film, and uh, I, I think it's it's like a real landmark in his career. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to think of another situation where like on an old like on an old guard Hollywood guy um, made the transition into the seventies with a film like this, that like, like you both have said, feels right in line with the new Hollywood filmmakers. Uh, but it's interesting to me too, that afterwards I, 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 there's a bunch of his films that I haven't seen. So, but I have seen other films of his, um, from the seventies and they are nothing like this as well. No, like, I agree. Like he didn't, he didn't sort of get some success with fat city and decide I'm going to start making, you know, films for young people because like the man who would be king that feels like a very um, old school hollywood type movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) it sparks something though because i agree he makes films like the man who would be king which i think is a great film but is very hollywood but he also makes films like wise blood which i think is a little bit more Mm -hmm. in tune with the 70s that's true yeah Yeah, and and under the volcano i mean both of those are criterion releases and i think the dead his final film would also make an outstanding criterion release that's that's another one that's hard to come by so i don't know if there's some kind of rights tangle that it's it's caught up in or not um but you know and and fat city i guess we have to say was not like a, a huge you know blockbuster type of film i mean it's it's kind of a it's downbeat it's 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 not exactly a date night type of movie or maybe you know for, there's a slice of couples out there that, that, that might get into this together but it's you know uh we you know we talked about rocky where you know against all odds you know the underdog scraps and claws his way to the top and even if it's you know only for a moment you know, he has that that uh you know pyrrhic victory well you know um um uh, Billy Tully does win the big climactic fight and, and even Ernie does, you know, he, he announces that he just took a decision in Reno right at the end of the film, but you don't really get a sense that this is a breakthrough there, you know, whatever victory they can claim here is, is, is Pyrrhic, very, very temporary and ephemeral. And you, you just know that there are going to be, you know, back on the hamster wheel very, very soon. But again, that's that's the grit. That's the reality of this film. And uh, even even if we are <laughs> maybe somewhat voyeuristically looking in and saying, "Wow, those people are are living a hard life," there are so many situations that I just found so relatable. You know, maybe not to the same degree of impoverishment and and broken relationships and all that but but there's just some elements that are going on here with both ernie and with billy tully it's like man i 
I've walked that path, you know, to a certain degree in my life. And, and even if you haven't, there's just something uh, really, uh, to me at least, very identifiable about the dilemmas that these guys are, are trying to work their way through or mm. around or under or over <laughs> whatever <laughs> angle they can get to, to just get ahead and, and you know, literally make it through the night, which, which Alex, you know, I think the last one of the last films that you and I talked about uh, also had that the Chris Christopherson soundtrack <laughs> with um, right. the last movie, um, yeah, me and Bobby McGee. Well, here we've got Help Me Make It Through the Night, which is, to me, has always been, I mean, since I was a kid when I first heard that song, uh, even before I really understood the full sort of adultish ramifications of those lyrics, it's a song that stuck with me. You know, I was like probably 10, 11 years old mm. when this movie came out. And uh, that song, uh, which is used in the opening credits, both an instrumental version, and after you've gotten through all of that, then Chris Jefferson comes in with a whole different take, but it's the same song twice like immediately back to back so they really they really drill it but and it's and it comes up throughout the film as well uh but that that just that that idea you know help me make it through the night you know yesterday is dead and gone uh you know let the devil take tomorrow lord tonight i just need a friend you know so it's like there's just something so existential and poignant and and beautiful about that you know, that song had already been a hit on the radio. It wasn't like this is the movie that broke it through. Um, they came out a couple of years earlier, but uh, whoever paired that particular tune with this film really nailed it. Oh, it's absolutely the perfect song um, for, for this film and the perfect song to open it with. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to mention too, because you talked about sort of knowing this path to, to some extent. I am. Um, I also, like, I, I, I think I mentioned this, I, I may have mentioned this on your show before, but I spent a number of years working in, in homeless shelters. So I've, mm-hmm. I've known mm. a lot of characters who are in, in a sim- similar types of situations. And, like, the alcoholism in this film is something I've definitely seen a lot of in my life. Yeah, and, yeah. and even before I was doing that work, I mean, just in terms of kind of circles that I ran in, I, I feel like... I can relate to to these characters to some extent. I've never I've never lived it um, to the extent that they are, but yeah, it, it's it feels pretty authentic to me. Yeah, to, to to people who are living that way. Yeah, yeah. The the dreams, the aspirations, almost the absurdity of their goals that they set for themselves or the fantasies if you will of, of what it's going to be like when they finally get there when they when they land in fat city you know that the, the mm-hmm. title of the film kind of uh you know slang for you got it made you're on easy street you're you're living the, the high life you know yes yeah. I'm just gonna get in shape and start fighting again <laughs> that's right, right. Yeah. that's right you're gonna gonna cut down on the cigarettes and you know keep it down to one or two beers a day <laughs> right Oh, yeah, that man. that's what I was gonna mention with working in the in homeless shelters is the the tall tales and the dreams and the schemes and um, that you hear is just astonishing, you know. And sometimes you're just it's it, it's mind boggling that somebody can believe in what they're saying, but you don't want to really point out how absurd it is because the yeah. reality is so sad, you know. Right. That it's kind of it's it's probably better to to believe in that that dream. Yeah, know? yeah. If you confront them with the odds that are stacked against them and the you know likely futility of all of those ambitions, you'll just crush them. I mean, what else is left? You know, and yet when you see them kind of staking everything on the, the on this, you know, kind of ephemeral hope there's there's something just kind of you know heart-wrenching about all of that um but it's it's the way these characters are drawn and and this isn't i could say we we talked about the adaptation from a novel by leonard gardner i believe that even to this day it's the only novel he's ever published but it is of a very high reputation it was um yeah my friend trevor barrett we got he and i do the inside the box and he's a real kind of bookish type of guy and uh, this is published by nyrb 
which uh, Trevor himself has likened to sort of the criterion collection of paperback books where they, they kind of scour world literature and find the best examples of, um, of, of different genres, different literary types, and put them in these very handsome editions with kind of a similar binding and, and all of that. And so there is a, a NYRB edition of Fat City, and uh, there's some good links. I, I don't always do this for the literary sources, but I did find some links related to the novel and the writer, who's I, I think is still alive. He's, he's getting up there in years now. But he wrote this one novel, and it just kind of cemented a reputation and perhaps even a livelihood for this guy. Alex, I know you mentioned that you were going to try to listen to the audiobook, uh, which I did. Uh, did you get a chance to get through that or not? I got through about three quarters of it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I was bang- that when I mentioned that our last episode, mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be home sick for a week. I should have lots of time to listen to that. <laughs> and then I yeah. seem to have forgot that I have two young kids, and I have way oh. more time when I'm actually working than I do when I'm at home. So. I got yeah. three quarters of the way through. I, I was really enjoying it. So. Yeah, it's it really brings the movie right back to life. Richard, have you had a chance to read the book at all? No, I haven't actually. I, I, put, I put it in the list of stuff I'm going to check out. But. Yeah, it's I, I uh, it if you got Hoopla, which is what I use. Uh, I don't have um, uh, Canopy, but I do have Hoopla through my library, and I was able to get the audio book through there. So. Uh, it's available. And also this film, even though it's not streaming on the Criterion channel right now, I should mention it is available on Prime Video if you're a subscriber to that service. And I don't know if that goes over into Canada or not, but that's where I watched it. Yeah. So so it is available free of charge. And there's also a pretty nice, is it an indicator Blu-ray version of this? Yeah, I was just looking that up. It is, yeah. So I don't have that. And I think obviously there are going to be some extra special features on that. The, the prime video, you've got the x-ray, so you've got some, uh, you know, factoids and th- stuff like that. Uh, and it's a pretty decent stream. I mean, it's this is not a, you know, super visual, you know, high-def essential type of movie. Uh, in fact, the grittiness and even kind of the somewhat fuzziness of it, I think, <laughs> lends to the atmosphere there. Uh, but uh, definitely worth checking out and seeking out, even though, again, uh, it's not officially criterion at the moment. But let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I want to talk about Susan Tyrell. You know, I kind of blanked out her name <laughs> yeah. earlier, but yeah. what an incredible, I, I, what, was she nominated for an Oscar for this? Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it is a very convincing portrayal of a drunk woman with some pretty significant mental health issues. <laughs> have, have, <laughs> <I> really, <laughs> have you seen her in much else? I have not. No. So tell me I about mean, Susan Tyrell. Yes. Uh, I really like Susan Tyrell. I think she's kind of playing herself in this. <laughs> oh, okay. She made it look um, easy in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, right. Yeah, she did not exactly ride her Oscar nomination to great heights. Like, right. But she's been a very steady presence in films, but she's done a lot of genre stuff, mm-hmm. which is where I've seen her. And she did some Andy Warhol films, and she's in danny elfman's older brother's film forbidden zone with hervey villachez okay so so kind of adventurous kind of Very go for broke you know yeah. right i mean she pours yeah. herself into her role i can see that for just from this one here yeah and this is her screen persona okay which is so so suitable for this film but it does feel like it does feel like that what you see in this is kind of susan terrell not suggesting mm-hmm. she's a drinker i don't have no. any reason to think so but her personality is seems to be this. Well, you, you get the sense that she's been around people who have that. I mean, I've worked in mental health you know, services for three decades plus now. And even though most of the people I've worked with as, as clients are on the younger side, I know that personality, that, that mm-hmm. kind of overly emotive, hyper-dramatic, taking every little comment and kind of interpreting it in the most persecutorial why are you hating on me you know type of way and extreme shifts in emotion yeah that whole that whole borderline thing i love you so much and then you are just the most wretched creep ever get out of my life you know i mean just just completely head spinning type of stuff and some of those dialogue the scene where um yeah, Billy is 
trying to cook dinner for her. Yeah, and- that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Just just dynamic. So, I mean, just capturing all of that conflict over the stupidest, you know, subject matter is just incredible. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Well, the scene when they when they sort of get together in the bar yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that the basis incredible. of that relationship, right. You know what I thought was the brilliant touch in that scene? That her, the back of her dress was open the whole scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those little touches, That that's yeah. the thing. This movie is just like crawling with so many of those subtle things that make it extremely rewatchable. I've watched it three times since we kind of got this podcast thing going together and I've just, I've just found myself further and further engrossed in it with each go through because mm-hmm. there's just so many little, those little details, whether it's them working in the fields and all the little tricks, yeah. the, the stories that the, the black guys tell about, you know, how <laughs> wine custom is marriage. <laughs> it's just like, Oh my gosh. It's just, you know, I, I, and I have to give a lot of credit to Leonard Gardner. Cause I think all of those, scenes all of that script was in the novel he wrote the screenplay they brought it to life and and gave it sort of that three-dimensionality but mm. what a perceptive ear this guy had to just capture all that stuff um before we leave susan tyrell there one yeah, last yeah. thing that i wanted sure, to just sure. mention in in that conversation when they get together in the bar she talks about um they had met earlier um her and tully um with her husband who went to jail she's saying you know what he did after after i talked to you he raped me and then and she goes right from saying how her husband raped her to saying why shouldn't i be ashamed why should i be ashamed of this i'm not ashamed of the act of love to then launching into this speech about how she has no use for free love. And in like 10 seconds, the, what we've covered there is, is just so wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That it's just an example of how, like the way that the drunken conversations work between the two of them, which is the way that they often work in real life, the way yeah. that they can, they can jump so, so dramatically. Um, from subject to subject in a matter of seconds is, is pretty amazing. Right. And if you're on the receiving end of all that, you, you just got to kind of keep up and you're kind of in the process of losing your wits, <laughs> even, even as you're kind of grasping for air there. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. It, well, okay. So we, we talked a little bit about Billy Tully. I mean, so, so Billy Tully is kind of the, you know, kind of the proverbial palooka. He's the guy who's had a little bit of a taste of glory He's definitely living in his past. You know, he, he reminisces about uh, the wife he had. He pulls out her photo every once in a while and impresses the guys with what a looker she was. And he had the car and the house. But, you know, he started drinking, started losing fights. She moved on and, and now he wants to win her back. That's kind of his motivation. Uh, Ernie is this young guy who has, you know, a good physique. Uh, he's just down there fooling around in the gym, but the, somebody plants the notion that maybe he's got what it takes to be a fighter. And now all of a sudden he's going to see if he can ride the train and, and make something of himself. And even his scenes with Candy Clark, you know, the stereotypical yeah. high school sweethearts hanging out, parking in the rain and, you know, wondering if she's going to get knocked up and what's going to come of all of that. Again, just, you know, capturing an experience that a lot of people can relate to either through direct experience or they know somebody or they came close to falling into that kind of a, uh, you know, pitfall or whatever. But, um, Jeff Bridges, you know, obviously went on to have a pretty, uh, impressive career, but, uh, following up from the last picture show, a very engaging, very likable everyman type of character, uh, just finding himself very quickly way over his head, even though he seems like the kind of guy who should kind of have it together and be ready to call the shots. Uh, he's just overmatched by the realities of the actual life that he's living. The conversation where they agree to get married is the most <laughs> indirect conversation I've ever seen on that topic. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know uh, that they that yeah. he ever really processed what they were talking about. Well, and in a very 
yeah, I mean, you could say that that uh, was a Faye, I think is her character's name. She's really kind of spinning him around, you know, by asking yeah. these questions and all this indirect innuendo type of thing. And yet, I can't say that she's calculated or shrewd. No. It's just kind of just happens that way. Uh, you know, and you wouldn't want to be with me every night, would you? Well, I guess, sure, I would, <laughs> you know. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, I mean, he's, he's got nothing better. And I think that's the thing. You know, these, the, none of these folks really have anything better than what's right in front of them right here and now. And yet, uh, if they had any kind of perspective, they'd all run off screaming in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Ernie's, Ernie's, that character in particular, though, seems to be completely without aim, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. and just, he, he just goes along with whatever is happening. And um, yeah, he just kind of lets life blow him around. Like, you never get the, impression that he really cares much about boxing he's just some guy said i was good so i i pursued it and you know uh same thing with getting married and having a child yeah so yeah you kind of you you have to wonder what his life is going to look like in in 15 or 20 years it's probably not great no, he can't even commit to getting away from Stacy Keach in the last scene. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. It's like I, maybe I, I gotta go. Why don't you stay? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Truly, I, I think he's got about well a lot of alcohol and about fifty pounds waiting for him in the future. Yeah. You know, um, but but again, I think there is a you know somewhat oblique commentary about the the world and the lives that these characters are born into i mean stockton california is is kind of interesting i mean did a little bit of reading up on this this particular city it's the first city in california that did not have uh, a name derived from the spanish language so you know it, it it was kind of an outpost of a sort um it was a significant city in terms of uh the economic life and the development of of the state of california and yet it had fallen into some pretty notorious poverty and i think to this day uh detroit and stockton are the two cities that have actually had to declare formal bankruptcy because of their uh, you know economic situation and yet stockton is not that far from sacramento the state capital or from the bay area as i've already mentioned so it's not like it's out in some kind of wasteland somewhere and yet maybe culturally it kind of is um leonard gardner the novelist that i've mentioned a couple times was from Stockton. He was writing from his own experience, and he did say that Stockton had a significant boxing scene as far as it was a thing to do in that city, even though they never produced any fighters of any significant note that went on to, you know, bigger things. Uh, but, you know, just the idea of boxing on that very local level of guys who would just go in there and get pummeled if they so they can walk away with 150 bucks at the end of the night it's like wow <laughs> it just i don't know it just yeah. brings it all home you know like what uh, what other options do you got you can go out there and chop onions or pick up walnuts yeah. off the ground or you can get your nose busted open for a little bit oh. of quick cash those yeah. are your choices yeah yeah for sure you know I, I i was being a bit light about this but i think about the movie but i, I do think that it's very I mean, it's not just pertinent to Stockton that there's a like there's a there's a lot of people where that's it, you know. Yeah, yeah. you can hope that maybe you'll make it as a boxer, or you can pick walnuts, right? <laughs> and and, yeah. and and despite the fact that nobody in this movie seems to display the slightest indication that they're going to make it as a boxer. Like you can't argue with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, but, but I mean, you, know, you you can get ten or twelve dollars for a day yeah. of picking walnuts, or you can get one hundred and fifty bucks, and that'll get you through for a few weeks, you know. Yeah. Um, but at what price, you know? Uh, I was just gonna say about sort of the manual, um, this kind of day laborer thing we see throughout the film. It's one of the few examples I can think of in any film where. Um, people are working in that way. You know, I think yeah. um, 
and and it's a big even to this day many people um, make their living that way. So I, I don't know. I, I always think it's interesting to see um, how people make a living on film because so much of what we see is like you would think that such a huge uh, percentage of the population was a was a cop or a detective or, yeah. or a doctor or something, but we, we don't see these more menial um, occupations that so many people do. So I really enjoyed that that aspect mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it captures like very subtly, but very well, the idea that you know uh, when they're signed on, it's like you can make this much a day, but all the dialogue that follows it is, well, no, I, I made this much a day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I didn't make anything like that. <laughs> yeah, and and half of whatever you take home is going to be spent in the bar that night. You know, yeah. I mean, this just feels like these people are on a you know just a complete treadmill, and and you know. This was not a movie that's really about race as much or or even culture or class, but I think there are some interesting things going on. I mean, obviously the central protagonists are all, you know, white people, but the the boxers, you know, you've got uh Hispanic boxers, you've got black boxers. They're they're kind of side or support characters, but you you do get a sense of, you know, the anonymity and the grind that uh you know, people outside of the sort of the white mainstream have to deal with and have to go through. And I don't know, I'm I'm not even sure I have a real clear or coherent thought on all of that, but there are just some interesting things. I mean, the fact that Alma, the, uh, you know, the love interest, the Susan Tyrell character uh, is with a black man. And this is a film set in the 1950s. So that was not at all a common thing back then. And she, she has some things to say about that early on in the film and then Earl her her lover goes to jail for a while and so she kind of you know shacks up with with Billy for a bit and Billy for a moment thinks well he's got himself a partner here (laughs) well that goes south pretty quickly and then Billy is kind of put in his place when he you know after he wins his fight after he has that for all it's worth that moment of redemption or validation he decides he's going to go check in on Oma only to find out that, you know what, there's a, another man in the house and he, he himself has to pick up his box of clothes and move on. I mean, there's just some very interesting exchanges that happen along that kind of racial line as well. And then, and, and then Lucero, the, uh, the Mexican boxer who comes up for his bout. I mean, I, even though it's, it's very, it's very low key, but the way that that whole, uh, Lucero's situation is depicted as very eloquent and, and, and very moving. You know, here's a guy who's peeing blood, literally. Uh, he knows he's probably got the chips stacked against him. He's, he's, he's the outsider playing to a local uh, audience. And uh, he goes out there, takes his pounding, you know, gets his uh, pocket filled with some money, and he's back on the bus and, and heading back down home again. Uh, just very, very fascinating character studies there. Yeah, uh, his Luc- Lucero, his um, his character makes a huge impression for the mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. bit of screen time, and uh, it's not just that he's peeing blood, but he's clearly like in in excruciating pain yeah. before he even gets to the fight, and um, he's like a dead man walking, really, for the first mm-hmm. time we see him. And I think it's so interesting, um, when, you know, it's, it's one of the last shots, but when, you know, we see the winners and they have their congratulations or their celebration and their congratulations and they head off. And then he walks out of the building alone in the dark, yeah. you know? Yeah, well-dressed, um, carrying a suitcase, worse for the wear, but, you know, he did it, he had a job to do and he did it and now it's back on the road again you know Um, if you haven't gotten to that part in the novel Gardner does a very nice job it's kind of a little subplot in the in the overall story but kind of gets us into Lucero's mindset a little bit in in his narrative description of that whole that that character and and his arc there so Mm. yeah I I clearly recommend the novel whether you read it listen to the audiobook um, it it really complements the movie very very nicely and i think it's, mm. it's time well spent i was gonna say it's an interesting contrast since you brought it up to mm-hmm. it was brought up to rocky right yeah oh, which yeah. does exist in 
um, sort of a more urban sort of underclass, you know, yeah, yeah. people who are struggling to get by and et cetera. But it's, it's largely a story about how, you know, no matter where you are, suddenly this thing can be handed to you and you make it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think mm-hmm. one of the great things about this film is it's just, no, that's not it. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's not the way it works. Right. You know, some people make it, but most people don't. They, right. they just, right. they just continue to do this because boxing is better than picking walnuts. Not because you're going to become a, the world champion by boxing. Right. Like yeah, the, yeah. the, the self-deceit in this extends to Nicholas Calasanto's, you know, boxing manager role. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Ruben. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a complete oh. hype master. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every, everything is, but just I think he believes pitch. it. Well, right. Well, he yeah. has to, to yeah. be able to deliver his lines convincingly. He's yeah. just bought, he's, he's all in on the idea that this guy, he's, he's the, 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 the great white hope. He's the, he's the next big thing. Uh, he's sensational. He's a winner. You, you got to get him on the billing, you know, give him a couple tune-ups and, and he's ready to go big time. You know, um, you know, he's, he's got to sell that stuff to his wife because she's sitting there <laughs> wondering how they're yeah. going to make a living. I mean, everybody's in the grind. Everybody's in the hustle here. Uh, but unlike, movies like Rocky, uh, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a happily ever after type of story. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about Earl for a second. And Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he is such a great supporting character. And in that, um, his, his interaction with Tully, when Tully goes back to the apartment and we're sort of wondering if there's going to be some kind of a violent confrontation. And it's so, um, it's handled with such such dignity you know and mm-hmm, the way yeah. mm-hmm. the way that earl talks about oma he's just kind of like you know you have to understand she's an alcoholic and it's she's a juice head yeah and he's like that's just account of all the, the terrible shit in her life and there's nothing that you can do about that yep. so you just take it as it comes and and just the kind of um like taking the the seamy side of life yeah. Um, with with grace, you know, I think that there's something to be said about that with these characters. There's sort of acceptance of some of the the harder truths about oh, yeah. being a human. So, as well as his, uh, you know, we we really don't have to fight here. You know, <laughs> right, right. No, he he's throwing shade. Oh, it looks like you just had a fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I won. Well, oh, good. I like a good fight every now and then. Well, you you go along your way now. <laughs> Here's your box of stuff. You know. Oh, well, I got your T-shirt on. Oh, let me give you that. You know. And but it's like, yeah, she don't need to see you no more. You know. It's just yeah. kind of like, yeah, you're you're a boxer. You're this. You're that. Well. But 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 she's my woman, and so uh, you can move along now. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, just just cold, but but cool, and uh, yeah, pretty devastating. Um, just powerful, powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like we've got a pretty unanimous recommendation here. Um, so thank you for listeners for going the full ten rounds of this as we talk about Fat City. Any final comments before we uh, call this episode to a close? No. All right. I think we've said our piece. So yeah, this would be definitely a welcome addition to the Criterion Collection. I don't think there is a American Blu-ray available of this. Long out, long out of print. There was a Twilight Time one. Oh, that's oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's probably fetching what probably fifty, sixty bucks or more on, on the, the secondary market these days. Yeah, uh, didn't know about it at the time when uh, Twilight was uh, doing their thing, but uh, I do wish I'd gotten in on it now. Uh, but I am glad that we've got it on Amazon Prime, and uh, it is not that hard to find. Very much worth your time. It's a very brisk hour and a half uh, that it's asking of you. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation, listeners, and uh, we'll be coming back at you soon. But uh, Alex, Richard, thank you so much for making this a very productive night for me and uh, for everybody who enjoys this podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. All right, our next episode, we're going to be getting back into a film from the Eclipse series, Blaise Pascal, one of those Rossellini history films. Uh, Trevor and I talked about it years ago, but I'm going to take a fresh look at it and get into a little French uh, theology and philosophy of the uh, late Renaissance era there. So that's what's coming up next on Criterion Reflections. But until then, see you all later. Ding, ding, ding. And that's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.
Take the ribbon from your hair Shake it loose and let it fall Laying soft against my skin Like the shadow on the wall Come and lay down by my side Till the early morning light All I'm taking is your time Help me make it through the night I don't care what's right or wrong And I don't try to understand Let the devil take tomorrow Today is dead and gone And tomorrow's out of sight And it's bad to be alone Help me make it through the night Help me make 